try this one. Miracle on 34th Street. Santa. Oh, excuse me. Different, different gifts, different guys with gifts. The three. Now let's try this one. Santa. Very good. Very good. Y'all, y'all are so smart. Blank cane. All right. Now this one is a little, a little tougher. The best way to spread Christmas cheer. Singing loud. Right. Right. Of course, that's from the elf. Let's bring it back to Jesus. Oh, holy. All right. Now this one's really high level Christmas IQ. Okay. If I woke up with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. You surprised Clark? Eddie? That's my favorite. All right. Mary and Joseph. You know, there are some things that are synonymous with Christmas. And it's funny, like if I said those things in March or July, it might be hard to kind of come up with them. But December comes around and you just know their Christmas, their movie lines, their song titles, their movie titles, their, uh, their lines in a song. But not everything that is synonymous with Christmas has always been around. In fact, 80 years ago, if you had said chestnuts roasting on an open fire, people would have had no idea what you were talking about. That's because the Christmas song wasn't written until 1945 when a songwriter named Robert Wells, along with Mel Torme, wrote on a sweltering summer day. Robert Wells said that he wrote the song because it was so hot and he wanted to think about cold things. So Jack Frost nipping at your nose, right? He wrote it in 19, summer of 1945, and then Nat King Cole recorded it in spring of 1946. His most famous recording was in 61, and that's the one that we mostly hear on the radio these days. And it has, come, it has become synonymous with Christmas forever. And it doesn't take that long for that to happen. I mean, think about the movie Elf. You all knew that line, and it's only been around for about 15 years. But now Elf is a part of Christmas forever. But there was a time that they weren't. 15 or so years ago for Elf, 80 years ago for the Christmas song. And 2,000 years ago, about nine months before the very first Christmas, there was a man named Joseph who had to decide if he was going to be a part of Christmas forever. But he didn't know it was Christmas In this series, The First Christmas, we've been looking at the characters who literally lived the first Christmas into existence. But they didn't know it was Christmas. That's so hard for us to wrap our head around because we've been in 2,000 years of Christmas. They didn't know it was Christmas. They didn't know that this would become the most wonderful time of the year. They didn't know that this would become the busiest shopping season. They didn't know about Black Friday sales. They didn't know we would gather with friends and eat and exchange presents. They didn't know we would wear red and green. They didn't know we would have Christmas Eve services. They were simply faced with some decisions. Were they going to do things their way or were they going to be obedient to God? And today as we talk about Joseph, I think he is the most kind of in the background character in the whole story. I mean, Mary gets a lot of airtime at Christmas. 
the wise men get a lot of airtime at Christmas. The shepherd and the angels, they're, they're stars of the show at Christmas along with the baby Jesus and the manger. And, Mo, and Joseph, Joseph is kind of in the background. He's kind of the guy we don't talk about a lot. But I think, I think that he might have had the hardest decision on the first Christmas. See, here's what Joseph was struggling with between three things. Normal, good, or radical? Was he going to do the normal thing that was the expected behavior of just what everybody did in the world? And you can do that. You're going to do the normal thing. Was he going to do the good thing that might get some applause, that might get some praise? Or was he going to do the radical thing that actually might get ridicule? That actually people might say you would be crazy for doing the radical thing. There was a normal response to what he was facing, a good response and a radical response. And he had a choice for how he was going to write his story because you know this, you get to write your story. You get to write your story. You get the pen for your life. You get to decide how the story goes. It's one of the greatest gifts that God gave you and me. You're not a puppet. You get to make choices. You get to write your story. You make choices about relationships. Who are you going to date? Who are you going to not date? Some of you are making some of those choices right now. You get choices about the kind of friends that you're going to have. Who are you going to hang out with? Who are you not going to hang out? You get the choice about where you want to work. No one makes you go to the job you go to every single day. And if you don't want to work there, you can work somewhere else. You get to make choices about church. What kind of church you're going to go to? Are you going to go to church? How often are you going to go to church? You get to make choices about how much God's going to have in your life. Does he get an hour on Sunday morning? Does he get 15 minutes every morning? Does he get your whole life? You get to make choices. Now, we got tons of things, variables, that made your life different from mine and your life different from everyone in this room. Sometimes just geography right? It's different. You had different things based on where you were raised. Sometimes it's the family you were born into. You didn't, you didn't get to choose the family that you were born into. We have different opportunities. Sometimes we just have luck, bad luck, good luck. Sometimes we have some health, some injuries, some sicknesses that impact the kind of opportunities and the kind of life. But in the midst of all of those circumstances that you couldn't control, you get to control how you write your story. We get the pen. And in fact, the choices that Joseph faced between normal and good or radical I think are very similar to the choices you and I face every single day. Now, if you're new to church and new to the whole story of Christmas and don't know much about the Bible, let me kind of tell you a little bit about how this story began because we're picking up Joseph's story a little bit in the middle of the Christmas story. Before we know anything about Joseph and we read anything, before Joseph hears anything about this, an angel appears to Mary who is betrothed or kind of, which is betrothal is like a step up from engagement. In our world, uh, men and women get engaged and then they get engaged for four months, six months, two years, and then they're married. And the engagement, you can break off the engagement, no harm, no foul, and hopefully you hadn't got the invitations yet, right? That's kind of the way we do it. But I mean, there's nothing legal about it. In that culture, betrothal, 
you were husband and wife in every legal sense of the word, except you didn't cohabitate. You didn't live together and you didn't consummate the marriage. So if you broke off a betrothal, you actually had to get a formal divorce. You were already husband and wife. And then betrothals lasted about 12 months. And then at the end of the betrothal, there would be a a home-taking ceremony where the man would take the woman home to be his wife. And they would finalize their relationship. So Mary is, in, in our minds, we think about engagement. And it is very similar to engagement, except you're already legally husband and wife. They are engaged to be married through a betrothal, have not consummated that marriage yet. And then an angel shows up to Mary and tells her that she is going to become pregnant. Check this out. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the child that she will birth is going to be the son of God. Now, I want you to just imagine this conversation that Mary is then going to have with Joseph, right? You just imagine that? Hey, honey, come on in. I cooked your favorite meal tonight, baby. Come on in. Hey, listen, um, you look sharp tonight, honey. Is that a new tan robe you have on? I'm pregnant. Oh, no, 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 don't get up. Don't worry. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you believe that? Would you believe that? Well, let's see how Joseph responds to it. This is found in the book of Matthew, and we're looking in Matthew chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible and you want to study this, take it. Either way you go, exit to this morning. You can grab one of those and study this further. Matthew was an eyewitness account to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He was actually one of his disciples. So he recorded all that he saw and all that he heard. And obviously, this is a part of the experiences that he had with Jesus and with Mary to kind of hear these stories. And it says this, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, in other words, before they had the the home-taking ceremony, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Of course, this is, this is like foreshadowing and dramatic writing because Matthew's writing this years later, right? If you were writing this in live action, well, she was found to be pregnant. They didn't know it was by the power of the Holy Spirit until afterwards. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He was a good Jew and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. All right, now, translation, he didn't believe her. Why would he believe her? Who would believe anyone? Have you ever seen a pregnant girl in town and thought, well, happened one of two ways. (laughs) Conventional or the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It's happened once before. Did it never happen before? You never assumed that. There was no assumption. This had never happened in the history of earth since, and it was, has never happened in the history of earth since then. So the, the assumption, there was only one assumption. What was that? She had committed adultery, right? And do you remember that it said that Joseph was faithful to the law? He was a good Jew. And to say that the law would mean public disgrace is quite an understatement. 
In fact, this is what the book of Deuteronomy, which explains some of the laws around the breaking of such commands. Listen to what it says. If, however, the charge is true, it's talking about the charge of adultery on a woman. And no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found. And that's going to get harder and harder with every passing week as her belly grows. She shall be brought to the door of her father's house. And there the men of town shall stone her to death. She has done an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. That's harsh. You know what Joseph immediately thought? She has done an outrageous thing. This is outrageous. This is awful. And he would have been within every right to practice the Jewish law. In fact, what we just read, though it sounds crazy to us, it sounds really harsh. You know what it was? Normal. This is what happened to women who were caught in adultery. They would not only have public disgrace, they could even be stoned to death. That didn't happen in every community. Some communities, it was just the public disgrace and public shaming. But stoning was a very real thing. I mean, we even see in the life of Jesus, there is a story in the book of John when there is a woman who is caught in adultery. And what is part of the story? The men of the town bring her to the middle of town to stone her to death. It's when Jesus makes his famous quote that says, let he who is cast had no sin, cast the first stone stone. So we already seeing this is a normal practice. This is a normal thing to do. This is what every man who had ever been betrothed to a woman would have expected any man to do. This is what every mother and father who had a daughter would have expected to happen to their daughter, just to do the normal thing. And guess what? You get to write your story. You get the pen. And you can do what is normal. Our world has normal behaviors, doesn't it? It's pretty normal to take a job if you get offered more money. It's normal. Pretty normal to give somebody the finger if they give you the finger on 280. I mean, right? Isn't that normal? It's pretty normal to, um, to be sarcastic, to be a little cutting, to say something a little, a little snippy. It's pretty normal in our culture, in our world, this is one of my favorites, to do what's best for you, right? Hey, you do you. It's, this is one of my favorite Bible verses. When Jesus said, if anybody wants to be my disciple, forget about the cross, just do what's best for you. That's not what he said. He said, if anybody wants to be my disciple, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. He, he said the opposite of that. But see, we get to write our story. And if you do normal, if you do what is normal, what is expected, there will be no pushback from society. There will be no comments because this is what is expected. I know, listen, it seems so harsh. And we look at that story and go, oh my gosh, that would have been an awful thing to do. In their culture, if Joseph had chosen to have Mary stoned to death, no one would have thought anything about it. Just normal. On to the next one. Now, 
Come on. Think about this. What if Joseph had just done the normal thing? He had a choice. Have you thought about that? What if he had just done the normal thing? How much different your little nativity set would be? Right? Is that what you want, to do the normal thing? Do what the world says is just kind of expected? You don't want normal. You came to church. And that's not normal. Because most people in our world don't go to church. Most people even in our city don't go to church, even though we're in the deep south in the Bible Belt. Most people this morning wrapping presents, right? Having bacon and eggs. They're just kind of hanging out. But you came to church. You want something better, and Joseph wanted something better. He wanted to do not just a normal story. He wanted a good story. In fact, look at what the rest of that verse said. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Wow. You're talking about, you're talking about he could have, he could have had her stoned to death. He could have publicly disgraced her. But Joseph was such a good man. He was such a good man. He was good. He was such a good man that his thought was, you know, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to divorce her quietly. And just imagine what that would have been like. Every one of them would have been like, oh, Joseph's such a good guy. Oh, he's got... Whoa, what character. All the men would be like, man, I could have never done that if that gal had done that to me. What a good guy, right? All the women would have been like, wow, what a good man. Now that Mary's out of the picture, so (laughs) everyone, if you do the good thing, if you do the good thing, you will get almost universally praised. You will get almost universal just accolades and adoration by the world because it will be so outlandish to the world. It will be so abnormal to the world to do the good thing. Now, I'm not telling you, you want to do something that's good, right? I mean, that just sounds amazing. What if Joseph had done the good thing? Think about that. What if Joseph had just done the good thing? Now, don't don't miss this. This is a difficult situation, and this is a good man with a good-hearted and good-natured response that almost no one else in town would have even thought of. But was it the best thing? I'll never forget the, the pastor that married Emily and me, who was her pastor in her hometown, in our wedding ceremony, he said something that I'll I'll just never forget. He said, the toughest decisions in life are not between good and bad. They're between good and best. And always choose the best in your marriage. We've tried to do that. Is that what you want? Good or best? So Joseph has this this plan, but God asked him to do something that's not just abnormal and not just beyond good. Listen to what God asked him to do. He says, but after he considered this, I don't know how long, we don't know if it was days, weeks, could have been a month. Can you imagine that time? What do I do? 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 You ever had one of those? 
What should I do? What should I do? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. I'm going to ask you to do something crazy. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you know what God is asking of Joseph? This will get him ridicule from almost everyone. This will get him, every, people will think he is nuts for doing this. Good people will just think he's crazy. Normal people, normal people will say, Joseph, why in the world were you? No, Joseph, don't do this. You didn't hear a call from God. You just had a bad enchilada. Joseph, don't do this. Good people will look him in the eye and pull him aside and say, Joseph, listen, I don't know what you think you're hearing from God. This is going to ruin your reputation. This is going to ruin your career. This is going to ruin your future. Joseph, you've got so much in front of you. Joseph, you, 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 you don't have to be that serious about God. Because it's, it's not just good. It's radical. Radical obedience. Radical trust. Radical faith. Radical steps. And here's the funny thing. Do you know what hung in the balance with that decision? We almost never know what hangs in the balance with our radical decisions. Do you think Christmas hung in the balance? Nah. Do you think the birth of the Messiah hung in the balance? Nah. I mean, do you really think that Joseph could thwart God's plan to save the world? Nah. Let me tell you what hung in the balance. What was going to go on that blank? What hung in the balance was this pen that God gave Joseph when he was born, just like you and me, this choice that we get to write our story. What hung in the balance, was he going to let the world write his story? Was he going to do the good thing and say, no, I'm going to try to write a better story? Or was he going to hand the pen to God? What hung in the balance was, was something that you, 2,000 years later, didn't take that long to finish it out for it to say Mary and Joseph. What hung in the balance was if that was going to be the part of the story of God forever. And Joseph had to decide who was going to write his story. Listen to what it says. When the, Joseph woke up, and don't miss this, it's simple. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. No matter how crazy it sounded, no matter how ridiculous it sounded, no matter how radical of a step it was, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. It required radical obedience. It would come with ridicule and misunderstanding And here's the interesting thing about it. 
How often do you think in the next nine months Joseph asked himself if he made the right decision? I mean, the angel didn't visit him every night. Good job, buddy. Thanks for believing me yesterday. Do it one more time. How many times do you think he woke up in the middle of the night watching his pregnant wife sleep, hearing his pregnant wife sleep, And looking at her and going, am I crazy? Did I do the right thing? Is this really the thing you wanted me to do? Listen, there is no truth to the idea that following the guidance of the Holy Spirit will be easy. And there is no truth to the idea that everyone will understand Sometimes the call of God and the voice of God in your life is only understood by you. The angel didn't show up to Joseph's parents. The angel didn't show up to Joseph's friends. The angel didn't show up. The voice of God told one man to do one radical thing, and he would just have to make one radical decision no matter what everyone else thought about it. And sometimes God tells you to do one thing that no one else knows about, no one else understands, and no one else gets. And you've just got to decide if you're going to take a radical step of faith. Now, some of you are thinking, well, listen, an angel hadn't showed up to me. I get it. But I'll bet God's asked you to do some pretty radical things. For some of you, like coming to church was radical. In fact, some of you have been for a time or two or you're here for the first time and you're worried about what some of your friends and family members are going to think about you when they find out you're going to church. And they're going to say, like, you're crazy. You believe in that stuff. What are you doing? Are you going to turn into one of those Jesus freaks? That's what they're going to ask you. In fact, you're kind of dreading Christian because you know that. And you're going to have to ask, am I going to do what's normal and expected in my family? Or am I going to do what seems radical in my life? Maybe the radical step for you is just to come forward to be baptized today. And it seems a little crazy. And it seems a little like, I don't understand. My friends won't get it. Why did you do that? But I just know this is what God's speaking to my heart. For some of us in this room, listen, you teenagers, you singles, college students, it is normal and expected in today's world that you will be sexually active. And yet we have standards about our bodies and standards about holiness and relationship and purity and relationships that to the world is going to seem radical and people are going to call you names and make fun of you if you stick to it. And you're going to have to decide, are you going to let the world write the story? Or are you going to give pen and let God write the story for your relationships and for your future marriage? It is normal in our culture. It is expected in our culture. Some of you, come on, married folks, that around the table at lunch, at work, everybody talks bad and says all the nasty things about their husband or wife. And you're going to have to decide if you're going to do something radical like say, hey, guys, I'm uncomfortable with this conversation. Me and my husband, me and my wife, we don't talk bad about each other. We just try to speak blessings over one another. And they're going to look at you like you have lost your mind. And it's radical. There are some of you that have been wronged by someone and the normal expected behavior in our culture is that you are going to get even with them, that you are going to hold a grudge, that you are going to get payback. But we have a book that asks us to do the radical thing, to forgive because we have been forgiven. There is an expected way that we treat people in the world 
But there is a book that tells us, a Savior that told us that I want you to love others as I have loved you. You know how like I died for you, I want you to die to yourself for the rest of the world. Because here's the clue. You say, no angel showed up to me. Guess what? A Savior showed up, and he gives you a lot of radical things to do. And if you follow all the radical things that Jesus asked us to do in this book, you will be misunderstood and ridiculed. And you've got to decide, am I going to let the world write my story, or I'm going to let God write my story? And here's what I want to tell you. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. And I can't tell you, I, can't, I wish I could promise you, I wish I could promise you that if you'll just do the radical thing, you'll see it come to fruition. But it doesn't work that way. Most scholars believe Mary and Joseph. You see, here's what most scholars believe about Joseph, that he died somewhere in what we call Jesus' quiet years. We see Joseph when Jesus is 12, but by the time Jesus is 30 and in public ministry, Joseph's gone. He's passed away. He's nowhere to be found in Jesus' ministry. He's not at the crucifixion. He's not at the resurrection. Mary's all over the place in the story and life of Jesus. So guess what? He made a radical decision to radically obey and trust God. And he never saw the fruit of his son becoming the savior of the world. He had no idea that 2,000 years later, it would take you a split second for me to say Mary and you to say Joseph. And friend, you may not see what God wants to do through your radical obedience. But here's what I know waits for you and it waits for me is a big blank spot. Who's going to fill it in? You, you got a pen. Are you going to let the world do it and just like, I'm just going to have a normal life and whatever the world says, it's just kind of going to do, I'm just going to do what's expected. Are you going to do, say, oh, I'm going to try to write a better story. I'm going to write a good story. Or are you going to say, God, I know you give me the freedom, but I'm going to give you the pen and I want you to write the story in my life. And I don't care if I'm ridiculed. I don't care if no one understands. I don't care if people don't get it. And I don't care if I don't even see it come into fruition in my lifetime. I trust you with the next chapter of my life. And some people here in this room, some of you, for you, that next chapter begins by getting baptized. One of our guys that got baptized at the first service said, today is the first day of the rest of my life. And for some of you, that's it. And you say, Carter, you don't know about the last few chapters. I don't care. And God doesn't either. No matter what your past is, no matter what your mistakes are, there is a blank slate in front of you. That through Christ's forgiveness, you can begin to write a radical new story for your life. But for all of us, we've got some new and fresh opportunities. You've got a brand new new year right around the corner. Check this out. A brand new decade. Who's going to write the story for the rest of your life? Who's going to fill in the blank? Is it going to be the world? Is it going to be you? Are you going to hand that pen to God? Which one are you going to do? Joseph. He had no idea. But here's what I know to be true. You only get God's ending if you let God write the story. I can't promise what the ending's gonna be. I can't promise what it's gonna, get, what it's gonna look like. I can't promise you that it might not take thousands of years for it to make sense. Okay, are you okay with that? 
It might take thousands of years for it to make sense, but I can promise you this. You only get God's ending if you let God write the story. Here's the cool thing. Joseph had no idea. Stay with me. I'm almost done here. He had no idea what God was going to do with his radical step of obedience. But God was actually writing through Joseph chapter 1 of the greatest story ever told. And you have no idea what story God wants to write in your life. I just know you won't find out unless you hand him the pen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Joseph and his faith. And there are some of us today, God, that are facing some big decisions. They seem radical. And we know that there are going to be people that don't understand why we feel called, why we feel led to do something. For some of us, it's really simple. It's just about being obedient to something that we know your word says. But our obedience is going to cause tension in a relationship. Our obedience is going to cause tension in work. Our obedience is going to cause misunderstanding with some friends. Our obedience is just going to create some situations in our lives that we won't be able to explain because we just know we're trusting you. Help us, God, to hand you the pen. Help us, God, to let you write the ending because we let you write the story. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, we've got um, five people that are going to be baptized. All right? Amen. So we started the day saying that we were going to have 19 baptisms, but we're going to end up with 26 baptisms. So that's a pretty awesome thing. Yeah, so our band's going to lead us in a chorus. I want to invite you.